Welcome to the City Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. As a community of faith, we are passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus. And I want to ask you to take your Bible with me this morning and let's go to the book of Acts chapter number 13 today. Acts chapter number 13 as we continue our walk through the book of Acts. And I'm excited to share with you what the Lord has given me this week. Now, if you remember last week when we covered Acts chapter number 12, we looked at the exciting story and miraculous rescue of Peter out of prison uh, by the hand of God himself. God sent an angel and rescued him. And that whole story there was fantastic and really exciting to see and reminding us that God is always there no matter what the circumstances that we find ourselves in, God is there and God has the power to rescue. In his will, God can rescue you from any situation. And that was such a great reminder for us. If you missed it, maybe last week, you can go back and check it out on the podcast or go to the website. There's also the video on YouTube, but I encourage you to to stay up to speed with the series as we're walking through the book of Acts. We're calling it Church on the Move. And it's kind of interesting that we're a church not moving as far as physically right now, but I do believe that God is moving his word and pushing it out all over the world, uh, not just through us, of course, but through churches all around the world that have had to take their services online. And it's kind of been a blessing to see, and I've been excited about that. But we're in Acts chapter 13 today. And uh, as powerful as that story was last week, and it really was exciting to see, it's very powerful uh, to to see how much prayer, uh, how much much of a difference prayer can make. Uh, But as powerful as it was, it really is just a parenthetical moment in the the bigger story of what God is trying to do by moving the gospel forward. See, that's what the book of Acts is all about. It is about God's word going out from Jerusalem and being taken to the uttermost as God commanded the church in Acts chapter one and verse number eight. And today is another step forward in that movement as we begin to see for the very first time missionaries being sent out on purpose, being sent by a local church and going and taking the gospel to unknown reaches or places that had not yet heard the gospel. But I want to go back to Acts chapter number 12, and I want to read verse number 25, just to remind us sort of where we are at. Verse 25, it says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. If you remember, Barnabas and Saul had been sent from the church in Antioch with, uh, on a mission of relief. They had taken some money because there was a famine in Jerusalem. They had taken some money. They had encouraged the people there. Well, now their mission was done. And they're heading back to Antioch of Syria. And this time we see them bringing a man by the name of John Mark with them. Now, John Mark is an interesting guy. He is actually the daughter or the daughter. He's the son of Mary. And Mary's the one who hosted that prayer meeting for Peter in her home. If you remember that story, just from Acts chapter number 12. And so as somebody who was connected into the church in Jerusalem, uh, there was some relation to Barnabas. And now we see them having this other traveling partner with them. And they all head up to the church in Antioch the, of Antioch of, uh, of Syria. And just imagine would have been like to travel with Barnabas and Saul. Imagine as, as you're headed towards Antioch, you know, John Mark saying, hey, what, what's it like in Antioch? I've never been to a Gentile city. What is, what's it like there? And them telling him about uh, the, the, the sin, the, the wickedness of the city, and then them telling him about the great things that God had done. I can imagine them telling John Mark about the people whose lives have been changed through the gospel and how God had just radically transformed that area. And really the gospel was exploding in growth out of that church in Antioch. And so they traveled along there and They went uh, then and came to uh, Antioch, where we see Paul begin uh, the first of three missionary journeys. And we're going to cover those in detail as we continue through the book of Acts. But today is going to be the beginning of his first missionary journey. But before we see Barnabas and Saul and John Mark head out on a missionary journey from Antioch, what we see is something happen that has to happen in the life of every single Christian who 
has a desire to serve the Lord. You know, for some of you, you may have a real desire to serve the Lord and you may have in your heart a burden or, or even a, some compassion for a people group or, or a region. But before you should ever step out and, and, and go as a full-time minister or as a missionary or somebody going to a, a, an area, there's something that needs to happen in your life. And that's what we see happening here as we begin Acts chapter number 13. And we begin with the first point today. I just want to get right into the message. But point number one today, we see here a spiritual commission. We see a spiritual commission. In Acts chapter 13, I want to begin in verse number one. It says, now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manain, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. I want you to notice, this is probably one of the last times that we see Saul mentioned at the end of any list of people, but we see him here at the very end. Well, we begin the chapter, and what we are given here is the leadership of the church of Antioch. Now, Barnabas and Saul had been the main teachers for well over a year before they went on their mission to Jerusalem, and really Barnabas was the main leader at that time of the church in Antioch. He really had the most impact. But when they returned from Jerusalem, what we find is that we, three other men had been raised up, three other men had stepped into leadership roles within the church, which by the way, is the way it should happen. The church should raise up leaders from within. And that's what we see here. And I'm going to just read their names again, uh, just to give us an idea of who they were. It says Simeon, uh, it says Simeon, that was called Niger. That's a Latin word for black. He was an African man. Then we see here Lucius. Lucius was from Cyrene, which is in North Africa. Uh, and then we hear, see here Manaean, which it tells us that he was raised with Herod the Tetrarch. That's Herod Antipas. That's the one who beheaded John the Baptist. This man was a Gentile who was raised with, like literally raised up with close. Some people believe there was even some family relationship there. Raised with uh, Herod, uh, a, a Roman leader, and yet we see him here serving in the church. And then it says, and Saul, the rabbi. So we have Barnabas, the encourager, these uh, other Gentile men, and then we have Saul, the rabbi. Now, what's so interesting to me is that the social and the geographical and the racial uh, diverseness of these men is interesting, but it's not really the reason that God chose and used this, uh, this city of Antioch for the launching point for missions. You know, sometimes we look at this and say, well, of course, you know, they were diverse and, and, and all of this, but honestly, there was something deeper within this church. There was something deeper within the church leadership that, that I believe led God to use them as a launching, uh, launching part, a uh, launching pad uh, for the next phase of the gospel. And I want you to look at verse number two, and we see that desire right there. They, see, these guys had a desire for God to use them. Look at verse two. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, those are some key phrases, ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. I want you to notice that the Holy Spirit's commission, which was separate Barnabas and Saul for the work, it came while they ministered to the Lord and fasted. It came to them while they ministered to the Lord and while they fasted. So there's two things happening here. There's a commission, and then the commission came when there was ministering and fasting that was going on. So here's what I want you to notice. It was right in the middle of their faithful service and their faithfulness to the Lord, their prayer and their fasting that God then decided to speak and give this clear commission for Barnabas and Saul. If you remember back, it's like Cornelius and Peter. They received visions from God and God spoke to them while they're in moments of prayer. And in the same way, God came and spoke to these men while they were pursuing his will, while they were praying and while they were fasting and they were genuinely desiring 
and for God to speak to them. You know, fasting in scripture is always reflective of a very deep spiritual concern. What it does is that indicates that a person is willing to set aside the normal uh, demands of life, and it's not just equated to food, but other things as well, in order to pursue, in order to concentrate completely on what God has for you. Trying to uh, eliminate distractions even, deny self so that you can clearly hear from the Lord. Now, this church had been blessed. Think about it. Man, that church at Antioch had grown, they had been blessed, they had been used, they were developing, they were seeing leaders develop from within. But what we see is a heart here and a desire for God to speak to them. And so they spent extra time in prayer, extra time fasting, focusing their heart and their minds on the Spirit's leading. You know, church, fasting and prayer and focusing on the Lord is not something that was just reserved for believers 2,000 years ago. The scriptural principle is still the same. If you desire to hear from God, then there must be a focused effort. There must be a showing to God that you're willing to deny yourself in order to communicate with him. And fasting is just one of those things that we can do as believers to connect ourselves into, that, into a relationship with God in a more intimate level. And it's not just food. Uh, sometimes we need to fast from uh, just the pleasures of life. Maybe you need to fast from social media for a while and take that extra time in prayer. Of course, there's a scriptural principle of fasting from food for a meal or for a day or for multiple days. And it's a reflection of your seriousness that I want to get alone with God. And it's not enough just to fast and like not eat or to not do something. You need to turn that time that you would normally spend in eating or on social media and turn it into a moment of prayer and connection and study of the word with God and really seeking him and seeking his voice. I promise you, church, if you would do that, if you're in a moment where you're like, I really need to hear from God, if you would fast and if you would pray and if you would turn to him, I promise you this, God will speak to you. He will speak to you. The question is, is when he does speak to you, what are you gonna do about it? And that's what we see next in verse number three, a great example of that. It says, and when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. I want you to notice here, there's no hesitation. The Spirit revealed to them, maybe through one of the other men, there was prophets within that early church, uh, that sign gift, and, and maybe one of them said, hey, I believe that, uh, you know, Barnabas and Saul, that God is leading you to go on a missionary journey. Or maybe it was the Spirit just spoke to them internally or, or through a message, God revealed that to them. But either way, I want you to notice there's no hesitation. You get that? There's no hesitation. They heard the direction from the Lord. They prayed. They found confirmation. And then they laid their hands on Barnabas, Barnabas and Saul, and they sent them away to follow the calling of God. Now, the laying of, of hands here that we see in the church is really interesting. And to me, it's a really precious thing. It's something I experienced myself when I was ordained into ministry and I had men lay their hands on me and pray, confirming God's call in my life. And I know today in the middle of physical distancing, it's hard to relate to laying hands on somebody or touching another person, but it was a wonderful and it was a precious thing. As the church family gathered together, the leadership, and they came and they laid hands on him. And it was a symbolic act, and it was a public recognition of God's calling and God's ability upon a person to, uh, to, to follow him with their lives. Now, the roots of this practice of laying hands are found back in the Old Testament. In, um, in Numbers, it was used to set aside somebody for an office of leadership. In Genesis, it was to bless somebody. In Leviticus, it was to dedicate something to the Lord. Even a sacrifice had been dedicated to the Lord. And the church here at Antioch is identifying Barnabas and Saul as called and led to the gospel ministry and missionary ministry. And so they lay their hands on them and they send them away. That is the proper response when God begins to speak. I mean, think about it, church. Like imagine, 
what it would be like to have the, the, the most, I don't know if you can say popular or favorite, but you could probably say that, uh, most popular or favorite leaders or the longest tenor leaders in that church say, hey, you know what? God is calling us to go and do another ministry. How would you respond to that? How would you respond to uh, the Lord calling me and my family to go to a mission field? You say, are you called, pastor? No, I'm not, but I'm always open to God's working. How would you respond if, if God led uh, someone in our church family to follow him in the mission field and to go and to serve him in a unique way? How would you respond to that? Well, the church here, they just responded by saying, if this is of the Lord, then you need to go and do it. And so they put their hands on him, they confirmed him, and they sent them on their way. Because if something comes from God, church, it must be followed. If God speaks to us, we have got to follow his word. You know, our prayer for us, my prayer for us as a church family is that we would respond like this church in Antioch. When God leads us in unique ways, we would just say, all right, Lord, if this is what you want for us, we're going to do it. Whether it's corporately as a church family or whether it's personally, we would just follow the Lord and just trust him and just say, all right, God, if you've called me to this, then I'm going to do it. But in order to know God's will, we've got to seek his will. And that's what I love about these leadership. this leadership is that they sought the will of God. They pursued the will uh, of God. They said, God, what is it that you want us to do? And then when God showed it, they simply followed him. I think another aspect or application from this passage is that God speaks to those that are already busy in the work. God speaks to those that are already, already busy in the work. You know, God does not call the lazy Christian to a life of service. God does not call the apathetic to, uh, to go and, and do miracles in his name. God calls and he leads and he equips those that are already serving, that are already seeking his will. I think sometimes we have this grand idea that I'm just gonna live my life, you know, and if I'm, a, you know, if I'm involved in sin a little bit or doing some things back and forth, it's not that big of a deal. You know, one day if God has a calling, he'll call me. Listen, God calls those that are already serving. God leads those that are already, uh, that are already pursuing his will. And I wanna encourage you to be that kind of person. Are you the kind of person who seeks God's will and has the, the kind of heart and the mind that if God speaks, you will follow him no matter where it is that he leads you? This is a commission from the Lord. This is a calling from God upon Barnabas and Saul. It's not a concern. It's not a burden. It is a calling and a calling from the Lord must be followed. Well, Barnabas and Saul, along with John Mark, he's tagging along with them still. They're led by the Spirit, and they begin this first missionary journey from Antioch of Syria. They're confident in God's calling, and so they begin the journey following the leading of the Spirit. Look at verse number four. We'll continue. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost. So the Lord, the Holy Spirit told them where they need to be going. They departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John to their minister. John was there uh, in a way to serve them. So upon leaving Antioch, they go and they journey to the port city of Seleucia. And then what they do is they jump on a ship and they take the ship about 200 kilometers over to the island of Cyprus. And they begin their ministry in the city of Salamis, which interestingly enough, was the hometown of Barnabas is where he was from. I don't know if this was just reflective of, hey, I got to go home and pick up a few things before we head out. But either way, they start their missionary journey in Salamis the hometown there of Barnabas. Now, Cyprus, the island of Cyprus is a very interesting place, about 200 kilometers off the mainland there. Uh, and uh, it was considered the Hawaii of the Mediterranean. And I've got a couple of pictures here to, to show you that. And I mean, it looks beautiful. I'm ready, Jeanette, 
you know, maybe as soon as this thing comes down, we can go to Cyprus. That'd be pretty awesome. But uh, it looks it looks incredible. Uh, it was called the Happy Island because of the perfect co- climate, uh, has abundant resources, and it was a it was just a wonderful place to live and a wonderful place to be. You say, sure, the first place that the Lord calls them to is to go to Hawaii. I always say that when missionaries are like, God has called me to Hawaii. You're like, sure, He has. No, we can't we can't we can't argue with God's calling. And so they go to the island of Cyprus there, and uh, the missionary team then begins in Salamis, and they begin the 145-kilometer journey from east to west on the island down to the city of uh, Paphos. But I want you to understand, it sounds great. It sounds like, man, it's a wonderful place to be. They got to see Barnabas's family, uh, maybe, and they got to, uh, you know, do all of these things and be in this amazing island. But I want you to notice as we continue to the story, it was not a holiday. <laughs> it was not a holiday for them. Journeying on foot 145 kilometers. I, I did a 45K, around 45K hike last year with all my gear, and, and Jeanette and I did that with some friends, and uh, that was a little brutal. Hopefully, they weren't trying to cover as much ground as we did, but I mean, it's not easy in those days to travel that kind of distance and to not have uh, places to stay or to even to know people along the way and everywhere you go trying to preach the gospel. It would have been a very difficult and a hard journey for them, but at the same time, regardless of it being difficult physically, Satan was starting to take notice of what was going on. And we see him introduced into the situation in verse number six. But I want you to see point number two in our passage. I want you to notice here a spiritual counteraction. So we have a spiritual commission that was given, but now we see a spiritual counteraction and it's not the spirit of God that is acting here. Look at verse six. And when they had gone through the aisle unto Paphos, so they're on the Western side, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. So they arrive at the capital city, Paphos, and they get there and they're confronted with two different men. The two men that they're confronted with or come into contact with, first of all, was a guy by the name of Sergius Paulus. He was the Roman governor of the island. Luke described him as someone who was prudent. Prudent is a word that means intelligent or a man of great understanding. And so understanding that he was a man of great wisdom, he thought things through, he paid attention uh, to situations and environments and situations, he recognized that the idolatry and the materialism of that day, especially on that island, were not what he was seeking for, and so he decided to seek for truth. In his search for truth, he found this guy by the name of Bar-Jesus, and Bar-Jesus was a sorcerer. Now, he was a Jew. Uh, Now, the name Bar-Jesus means son of Jesus or son of the Savior. That's going to have some interesting connotation here into the story. So that means he's like the Savior, like Jesus, but he's also called Elamus, which is an Aramaic uh, name meaning a wise man or a sorcerer. Obviously, Sergius Paulus, in his search for truth, came across him, and this man, Bar-Jesus, had, had now integrated himself into his life, had been teaching him his false teachings, and as a result, he had a little bit of power over him. You'd almost call him like a personal prophet to Sergius Paulus, and he would travel around with him and, and, and ask him his advice and, and want to follow what he had to say. But the thing was this, when Saul and Barnabas got there, Sergius Paulus heard about what they said, and he realized that the gospel that they were preaching was unlike anything that he had ever heard before. And so we see here in the passage that he reaches out to them, and he says, I desire to hear, he desired to hear the word of God. 
And what we notice is that Elymas, Bar-Jesus here, did everything that he could to deter that from happening. Look at verse number eight. But Elymas the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them. (laughs) That means he resisted them. Seeking to turn away the deputy, that's Sergius Paulus, seeking to turn him away from the faith. Now, church, this is a reminder to us of the reality of spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare. Wherever there is a person that is seeking truth, Satan will always send a counterfeit and try to distract a person from the truth. In the parable of the wheat and the tares in Matthew chapter uh, number 13, Christ promised us, and he said this, he said, wherever true children of God will be planted, Satan will always raise up counterfeits. And that's exactly what we see happening here in this town of Paphos is that the gospel was coming. And so Satan sent a counterfeit, even called him Bar Jesus, the son of the savior. And he was a counterfeit and he came and tried to distract him from the truth. And, And it's something that continues to this day. I hope you realize that. To this day, people are being distracted. Satan is sending distractions and trying to take people away from the truth. Currently, I'm witnessing to somebody over the phone right now, and it's somebody that had reached out to me, and we've been talking for the last couple of weeks, and we text and we call, and and I've been witnessing to them and sharing the gospel. It was so interesting that almost every time that we talk, there's another level of distraction that comes into this person's life, Uh, whether it's a circumstance, an illness, or as I've seen the case recently, some sort of argument or some person who's, uh, you know, trying to detract from the Bible or trying to discourage them in their pursuit of God. I don't believe that they're saved. They're searching for the Lord, but there's all of these distractions that are coming. And almost every week we have to sort of work through those layers in order to get to the truth uh, of the word of God. And, and because of that, they get confused, they get distracted. And this person is struggling in a lot of different ways. Uh, And it's honestly, I believe kept them from accepting Christ at this moment. But we've got to understand church that there is truth about spiritual warfare. If you want to experience spiritual warfare, all you got to do is share the gospel with somebody. If you want to test this out for yourself as a Christian, you go and you try to share the gospel with somebody and you will experience what spiritual warfare is like. If you want to experience spiritual counteraction, all you have to do is have a desire to serve the Lord and then act on that desire. And you will see that persecution and you'll see that warfare begin to happen even in your own heart. You know, right now, I believe we are in a time of great spiritual warfare because like a lion, I mentioned our adversary is most successful when he can isolate Christians, when he can pull them away from their support group of other believers. And uh, he then has his most success with believers at that time. And guess what? We are in a time of isolation. We are in a time right now where many uh, believers are separated from one another and the attacks are strong. Man, the attacks are strong. They just continue to come. They just keep coming uh, over and over and over again and they are relentless. And we must be aware that it is because we are in a spiritual battle. You know, even over the next few weeks and the next few months, as we as a church family take steps to meeting again in person together, there's gonna be a spiritual battle going on. Satan is going to do everything that he can to divide over opinions or divide over comfort levels or divide over your confidence or lack of confidence or, or safeness or unsafeness or however it all comes about. Satan is going to do everything he can to divide the church and continue to bring issues uh, within us as we desire to return to fellowship and meeting together. 
You know, I hopefully some of you are back on the, the, the chat right now. So if you're back on the chat and hopefully you're letting Christian know that you're there. Um, but if you, if you understand what I'm trying to say, if maybe you right now are in a spiritual battle, I want you to put in the chat, the battle is real. I want you to put that in there. The battle is real. I mean, we are facing it. And just like Saul and Barnabas faced this spiritual battle right when they're just getting started on their missionary journey, in the same way, we will face counterfeits, we will face opposition when we try to pursue what God is doing for us. I think this passage, in fact, this little uh, section of the passage right here illustrates spiritual warfare perfectly because what we see is Sergius Paulus seeking the truth. And because he was seeking the truth, uh, a fake Jesus showed up, Bar Jesus came along. And then he saw through... Uh, uh, and, and what he saw is that when the truth then was finally preached, that fake Jesus, that bar Jesus, Elymas, came along and he uh, resisted Saul and Barnabas, trying to make an effort to see him uh, or to keep him from believing. And today there's a lot of people seeking truth, but there's also a lot that are out there trying to distract them and keeping them. And many have easily been deceived by Satan's counterfeits whether it's materialism or self-love or humanism or, or, or the idea that we just evolved from nothing, so what's the point of, of having a morality or pursuing faith at all? Whatever it may be, they are oppositions, they are counteractions from, uh, from the devil, and a lot of people are being deceived today. So what do we do in those situations? What do we do when we find ourselves in a spiritual warfare? What do you do uh, if you find yourself being deceived or led astray by distractions or things that you know are not of God? What do we do? Well, I want you to see what Saul does in verse number nine and verse number 10, as we see here thirdly today, a spiritual confrontation, a spiritual confrontation. Verse nine, it says, then Saul, who is also called Paul. Now, Paul was his Roman name. Saul was his Jewish name. This verse right here is the last time they call him Saul, right here. This is the last time. From now on, it's Paul. And I know I've been stumbling back and forth on the different names, but now on, he is Paul. But we see Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him. I mean, this was a death stare, a burning ray as he glares at Bar-Jesus. He set his eyes on him in verse 10 and said, "'Oh, full of all subtlety and all mischief.'" Thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? He gets him and he looks him right in the eye and he goes after him. Look at verse 11. And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness. And he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. It says here, as Paul set his eyes on him, he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he boldly confronts Bar-Jesus. And here we see the great difference between believers and someone who is opposed to the gospel. I want to point him out to you. Notice, Bar-Jesus is filled with subtlety, deceit, and trickery is what those words mean. Paul is a child of God. He calls him a child of the devil. Paul is a child of God. Uh, Bar-Jesus is the son of the devil, as it says there. And Paul is the one who's telling everybody about God and telling people about righteousness through Jesus Christ. Bar-Jesus is an enemy of all that is right. Paul is announcing the way of salvation. Bar-Jesus is perverting the way of salvation. Uh, instead of advocating true faith, and, and he's perverting what the gospel is, and Paul is giving the truth of the gospel. As a consequence, Bar-Jesus here, we see the Lord strikes him blind. Of course, that can represent the spiritual blindness that does come to those and people who fail to bow the knee to Jesus Christ. Ultimately, they will be thrown into utter darkness. But this is an example of somebody here who's thrown into uh, physical darkness as well. 
But for a moment, as we look at Paul's response in this battle he is in, I want to encourage you because the, the way he responded is the same way that we should respond when we find ourselves in spiritual battles. Now, I don't suggest that you go out and you find somebody who you think is, you know, uh, uh, going against the word of God and you just go after them and try to smite them or, or anything like that. But what I do think we should be doing when it comes to spiritual warfare is we should be boldly confronting with truth. We should be boldly telling people the entire gospel that includes sharing with them the consequences if they refuse to turn to Jesus Christ. Sharing the truth boldly is an act of love. Notice how Paul didn't say, well, you know, my friend Elemis here, he's got a perspective, uh, Sergius, and I've got a perspective, and, and you know, we're, no, no, not at all. He challenged him, and he said, no, you are wrong. The truth is that Jesus Christ came to this earth, died on the cross to save sinners. Not anything else. It's very simple. That is what the gospel is, and he made that gospel available to anyone who would believe. And so I want to suggest to us today that we should boldly confront the battles that we find ourselves in. And rather than allowing it to grow in us and the, the, the struggles in our own hearts to, uh, uh, to, to, to continue to grow and to fester and to develop, we need to call it out for what it is. If it's sin, we need to say, this is sin. We need to uh, remove it from our life. We need to confront it. Because I tell you this, if you allow your heart to be filled with distractions and you pursue after all of the, 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 the challenges and, the, and you give in to the spiritual battles that come your way, listen, you will find yourself spiritually blind as well. And we must confront it and must call it what it is. Ephesians 6.10 tells us, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Then it gives us the armor of God that we can withstand the attacks of the devil. We need to put that on ourselves. We need to trust that God is going to give us the strength and we need to boldly be strong and in his power. And the way to fight spiritual battles is with spiritual confrontation. We must get in the word. We must pray. You must fast if you need to. And you need to search your heart and you need to ask God for boldness and you need to confront it in your own life. I think for some of you, it would not be a bad idea to confront the sin in your life that is so easily besetting you. That sin that you constantly are returning to and just boldly stand up to it and say, you know what, Satan, I'm not going to give into this any longer. As Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. I'm not going to give into this any longer. I'm not going to continue down this path. I'm not going to continue uh, with these thought processes and this mindset. I'm going to resist it. And I'm going to fight this spiritual battle on the grounds and on the strength of Jesus Christ and on his word. We need to be confronting when it comes to the spiritual battles that we are in. But lastly, in our passage today, I want you to see a spiritual captivation, a spiritual captivation. There was the commission to Saul and Barnabas. There was the counteraction by Satan. There was the confrontation by Paul. And now there's a captivation. Look at verse number 12. It says, then the deputy, I like this. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed. The deputy, when he saw this, Sergius Paulus, he believed, being astonished, taken aback at the doctrine, the teachings of the Lord. You know, while the darkness of judgment was coming upon Bar-Jesus, the light of the gospel was being revealed to Sergius Paulus. Just like in those early chapters of Acts, the miracle where they gave him blindness, the temporary blindness, that miracle was used in the life of Sergius Paulus, and he turned and proclaimed Jesus Christ as Lord. And this Roman official who had no background, as we look at his, uh, at his history and his past, there was no background of faith at all in Judaism. He became saved and he became a member of the family of God. Years later, thousands of years later, or almost, almost 2,000 years later, they have found inscriptions that history proves that he did indeed become a Christian. Inscriptions found in Cyprus itself, in the city itself, confirming 
that he then turned to Christ. Church, I want this conversion story of Sergius Paulus to encourage you this morning. I want, to encourage, I want it to encourage you to continue to make known the gospel to unbelievers. There are some who will repent. There are some who will turn in faith to Jesus Christ and to him alone, but they need that bold witness to make the good news clear to them. See, God is at work in this world. I hope you realize that. He is at work. He is at work um, bringing all sorts of people to faith through the witness of faithful missionaries. And regardless of whether or not you go to a foreign field, you are a missionary today to those, anyone in your life that does not know Christ as your Savior. And there may be some out there who are just simply waiting for someone to reveal to them, to show them the truth of the Word of God. It reminds me of Romans chapter 10, verse 14, where it says, How then shall they call on him on whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him on whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. See, this moment here is a transformational transition in the early church as the commission of God for missions is put on these two men. As the church confirms, as the church supports them, they go out and right away they find themselves witnessing to people and seeing fruit that is abounding then to their account. The other thing that I see in this story is a reminder to us as believers that whenever we step out in faith and follow God, there's going to be both difficulty, trials, as well as joy and victory in the spiritual exercise of taking the gospel to the world. But even though today I believe is a reminder about the seriousness of spiritual warfare, we can be encouraged, we can be joyful in the fact that 1 John 4, 4 tells us that you're of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. See, God can give you and he will give you the strength to face whatever it is that you're facing in your Christian life at this time. And we've got to trust that he will do and that he will perform what he has promised in our lives. You know, there is no difficulty, there is no challenge, there is no obstacle that God cannot help you through if you will follow him. Romans 8.37 tells us that in all these things, we are more than conquerors to him, uh, through him that loved us. And church, I really do believe that if we will seek the Lord, that if we will pursue his will, his will can be found. His, his will for us can be found and it can be known. The question is, is how will you respond to what is to come? How will you respond when there is a leading from the Lord? There will be opposition that must be confronted before victory can be seen. And some of you are in that opposition right now. You are facing that difficult time. You are facing the spiritual battle. And I wanna encourage you to stand up boldly today. Claim the power of Jesus Christ. Claim his strength for you. Claim his victory over those opposing forces and trust that God is going to lead you and God is going to strengthen you during that time. I wonder, will you be faithful and courageous when he does lead you? Will you be faithful and courageous when he does lead you? Or will you simply continue to fight this battle on your own strength? You know, this morning I, I want to ask us, I think the application is, is very simple for us and it is this. Are you like that leadership in Antioch that was searching, pursuing, desiring to know God's word for them and to know God's will for them. I also want to ask us today is, listen, if God called you, would you go? If God called you to go and be a missionary, if God called you to step out and witness to somebody, if God called you or led you to serve in a greater capacity here at City Baptist Church, or if God called you to do, would you be willing to go is another question. It's one thing to seek the will of God. It's another thing to obey the will of God.
And we can learn from this church how they sought the will of God and they obeyed the will of God when it came and they trusted in his strength when those spiritual battles came along. Maybe some of you are in a battle right now. I wonder, are you confronting the enemy? Are you confronting the enemy? Or are you just sort of giving in to the battle that you're in? Listen, the Christian life is a life of spiritual battles. And it's because the Christian life is a mission life. We have a message that is urgent. We have a message that is life-changing that we must share. We must share. Sadly, so many Christians do not experience spiritual warfare because they don't ever share the gospel. And we as a church family need to be committed to sharing the word of God. And when we do, there's gonna be some opposition. But guess what? We have spiritual armor. We have strength through the word of God. We have confidence and joy through prayer that is given to us by our heavenly father. We hope that today's message was a help and encouragement to you in your walk with God. To stay connected with us, give us a like on Facebook or follow us on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will grow and bless you as you pursue His will for your life.